Welcome to Sarian Strategic Partners Podcast, a podcast focused on pre-transaction planning strategies and commentary for founders, entrepreneurs, and executives. Our team's mission is to help ensure that you obtain the maximum net value from your life's work. We work with you to develop pre-transaction planning strategies to help position you for personal financial success by identifying key tax, estate, and gifting issues prior to a sale or exit of your company. I'm your host, Greg Sarian, CEO and founder of Sarian Strategic Partners. Well, welcome to our continuing series of podcasts on the importance of pre-transaction financial planning. And I'm really excited about uh, our topic today, and that is the importance of having a sound, solid business valuation in place as you're approaching the pre-transaction financial planning process. And uh, what a treat today. We've got Scott Gabehart as our guest. Scott is the Chief Valuation Officer of Biz Equity. I'll talk more about Biz Equity in a moment, but they are uh, a tool. They're an online valuation tool that does a great job of helping give owners and equity holders of private companies a real sense of what these companies are worth. Scott is the author of the business valuation book, Proven Strategies for Maximizing the Value of Your Company. And Scott has been deeply entrenched in business valuation work for more than 30 years. So Scott, we really appreciate your time today. Well, uh, thank you. It's my, my pleasure to be here. So Scott, tell our, our listeners and viewers, what is the majority of your work like as Chief Valuation Officer at BizEquity? Well, there's a variety of uh, what you might consider primary roles. First of all, uh, I co-founded the BizEquity Business Valuation Institute, which is an online course for financial advisors specifically to basically learn how to walk the walk and talk the talk of business valuation and to essentially become a better advisor, a more proactive advisor. I'm also responsible for maintaining the online algorithm, which underlies the biz equity valuation output, uh, the 29-page report with four estimates of value and around 15 KPIs. At the same time, I'm involved in a variety of offline or traditional types of appraisal work for uh, various purposes. And then writing various white papers, you know, uh, depending on what's happening in the world. More than uh, well-versed on this topic, Scott, from the perspective of a founder, an entrepreneur, what are the reasons uh, for needing or wanting a business valuation? And are there different analyses that an owner or founder could choose from? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And in fact, the, the two questions are related, which is to say that the purpose for the valuation will, to a, a large extent, determine what type of report or analysis is most uh, desirable or even required. So the reasons run the gamut from general planning and estate and gift tax planning to buying and selling a company outright to raising capital obtaining bank loans, handling shareholder disputes, converting S-corporations to C-corporations, and and so on. Again, depending on the purpose, uh, the type of report will differ. And so specifically, for example, with respect to estate and gift tax planning, 
If the uh, goal is to, let's say, institute uh, some sort of trust uh, mechanism and to gift shares into that trust and provide documentation to the IRS, the goal is basically to prepare what is considered a qualified appraisal and have that prepared by a qualified appraiser. And the IRS defines both of those terms, qualified appraisal, qualified appraisal. And the uh, value of doing so is that uh, submitting that qualified appraisal, the three-year window of time begins after which the IRS can no longer challenge those results, which is to say that by submitting a qualified appraisal, you have met the adequate disclosure requirements of the IRS. But every purpose is different, and uh, the Biz Equity Report itself is fantastic for all types of planning purposes, beginning the process of formulating a, an exit plan, for example. And uh, beyond uh, the Biz Equity Report, of course, there are other options that include obtaining the assistance of somebody like me to use the Biz Equity tool and, and go a bit further from there. And uh, then you ultimately get back to the traditional options involving offline appraisals, which can either be uh, some sort of summary variant or a full and formal appraisal. And of course, the cost will vary as you move up that spectrum. Now, in between the full and formal appraisal and the biz equity report, uh, there's another option that is formally known among appraisers as a calculation of value. We use the term valuation consulting analysis, and it's excellent uh, for those times when the client wants to have a real warm and fuzzy feeling that they're getting the, the correct value for their company if they're selling or buy, buying a business uh, as well. The value of that particular report is that you can literally hone in on what it is specifically that's driving the value, calculate the value provide a report that's 30, 40 pages in length and avoid, you know, you avoid having to uh, meet all the other disclosure requirements, professional standards, et cetera. Really helpful. Is there such a thing in your experience, Scott, is there such a thing as an actual value of a company or does the purpose of the valuation affect the estimate of the value? Yeah. Well, great question. And uh, the, the reality is that there is no such thing as quote unquote, the value of a company. It will always depend on what's being valued, first of all. Uh, there's a significant difference between an asset sale value and an equity value. And those are the two general options that business owners have when they go to sell their business. They can either, either conduct an asset sale or an equity sale. And they're very definitional in nature, generally accepted in scope. Business appraisers, business brokers, bankers, lawyers, they're all familiar with these terms and they mean very specific things. They each have a different bundle of assets and liabilities. So an asset sale would represent the value of the inventory, the furniture, fixtures, and equipment, and all the intangible assets. But it doesn't account for cash, receivables, or liabilities. That's where the equity value comes in. So there'll be a big difference between the asset sale value and the equity value, depending on the balance sheet accounts, uh, for example. The value will also uh, depend on the timing. Obviously, uh, a business would have a different value in January of 2020 than June of 2020 as a result of COVID. So the, the timing uh, certainly plays an important role. 
And of course, the reason for doing the valuation will also affect the value. Each of those different types of valuations that I mentioned earlier and others such as ESOPs, 409A uh, appraisals, they all have their own universe of generally accepted principles and procedures and the values can and will be different depending on the purpose of, of the appraisal. And then finally, it, it's just the nature of business valuation that you can hire five appraisers and give them the same set of facts and you're, you're going to come up with a range of values that will vary easily plus or minus 10% around the mean of those five estimates. So uh, valuation is not really a hard science like chemistry or physics. It's more of a soft science like economics, where there are literally layers of assumptions that go into any estimate of value. Scott, you mentioned COVID, and certainly this last year and a half has been unlike anything we've ever seen in our professional careers. I'm amazed at the appetite and the M&A activity that I'm seeing, unlike I've ever seen before in my career. Much of it, from our perspective, is tax-driven, and I'll talk more about that. But from your perspective, how has COVID changed the process or the need for business valuations over the last year, year and a half? Yes. Well, it's obviously been uh, a once-in-a-lifetime event for for all of us. And one of my biggest takeaways is that the impact of COVID literally depends on and is quite different from one company to the next, even within the same industry. So the 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 fact is that you you it's difficult to make general generalizations as to what the effect of COVID is. You 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 truly have to look at how has this particular firm responded because the uh, the type of response that will vary from one restaurant owner to the next restaurant owner, from one manufacturer to the next manufacturer. Uh, and certainly different industries have been uh, impacted differently. So that's the first uh, really big picture point. Uh, every situation is different and you just have to dig through the details. In terms of generalizations, it's been the case that many appraisers have, have uh, taken the step of adding a COVID risk premium to their valuation estimate, meaning they've added a, a percentage point to the discount rate that they're using in projecting and discounting future cash flows, a COVID risk premium. And for a typical small company, that 1% increase in the discount rate can affect the value by 7 or 8%. And then, and then of course, the forecasts that are used uh, will be different depending on how the company's been affected by COVID. But you're absolutely right. There are many companies that are, are have benefited from COVID. No question about it. Even firms in the uh, hospitality industry. I'm doing an appraisal now for a uh, a short-term vacation rental company. And their revenues and profits this year are 50% what they were before COVID. Uh, And a lot of that's kind of the catch-up. People are traveling again and, and so on. But they're, uh, you know, every every firm is different. Every industry is different. And then you can also get into issues such as what cash flow stream are you going to use to value the company? In some cases, it'll be uh, optimal to just look at what was happening in the company right when COVID struck. Now that we have the vaccine, now that we are 
seemingly on the downside of the pandemic. How was the firm doing before COVID? And is, is that a good representation of what the next year might look like? And then beyond that, there are certain issues such as how do you treat the PPP loans? For most companies, they're being forgiven, which generally means that they can be removed from the balance sheet. However, many states are taxing that forgiveness of debt. Uh, but not all states. So again, every uh, every situation will be will be different. Very helpful, Scott. Thank you, Greg. I, you know, I I was wondering from the perspective of of a financial advisor, what why do you feel that a business valuation is important in, in with respect to personal planning, financial planning uh, for business owners who are envisioning some sort of major event in the next three to five years. No, thank you, Scott. It's it's an important question, and it's important because so so much of what we see when you work with a company, I'm sure you're looking at it at an entity level and trying to get a really key number for what the entity is worth as the entity considers a transaction. In our work, in our pre-transaction financial planning process, it's all about helping the founder, the entrepreneur, or the executive that owns a slice of a pre-sale company or pre-transaction company really get an understanding of what does that mean from perspective of their financial independence. Oftentimes, they put their life's work into building and growing this company, and our job is to help them understand what they need to, to take out of that transaction in order to be financially independent and, more importantly, stay financially independent. So what's the number? What is their number? And so the importance of a business valuation is that we can then use probability forecasting and look at potential different outcomes based on multiples, based on different EBITDA returns, and then help the founder really come up with some conclusions, which is, yes, this is a good number, and I'm okay if I transact this number today. But more importantly, if it's not the right number, they know that in advance, and they can quantify it, and then they can go back to their team and say, what do we need to do? You know, if we need to grow this another 5 or 10 or 15 20%, what are the catalysts? What are the levers that we can pull? So it's, it's hugely valuable from that personal planning perspective to get them to financial independence and keep them there. So really relevant when they begin to put together their estate plan. Right. You, you bring up an interesting point as to the, the distinction between the entity value and a minority interest value. From the perspective of the IRS, of course, uh, when you're looking at those minority interests, you'll typically be dealing with a discount for lack of control and a discount for lack of marketability, which can cut the value by as much as 50% of uh, what the pro rata value of the entity uh, is. How do you uh, use this process specifically with respect to estate and gift tax planning? Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite valuable because the part the whole point of an estate plan, as you know, Scott, in the work that you do, is to make sure there's a plan, a strategy, and a process so that your net worth, the assets of your life's work, reach the heirs of your choosing with minimal erosion from taxes. But if a founder and executive doesn't know what that number is and doesn't understand if that number, their ownership number, creates exposure to federal inheritance tax or is below that threshold, well, that's a really important consideration. If they're above that, then, then there's some trust strategies. So we've this year, as I said, have been extremely busy with pre-event planning. 
and have done more spousal lifetime access trust or SLATs, grantor retained annuity trust or GRATs in an effort to begin to move some of the asset out of there for estate tax calculation and get some of the growth to occur outside of that. So it's important for valuing their net worth and really pegging their net worth. Also, Scott, we use it in helping the founders and executives put together buy-sell agreements. Uh, this is something that is often overlooked. Yeah, big. Uh, that's a big problem. And I, I see it frequently where they reach that point and the inevitable result often is litigation when there is no buy-sell agreement. That's right. And in order to properly fund it and properly uh, account for, yeah, know what it's worth. You have to know what you're protecting. And so in order to craft a properly documented and funded buy-sell agreement, you've got to know what you're trying to protect. So those are the reasons to use it with wealth transfer and estate planning. Yes, yes. Great. Well, as uh, I think everybody knows by now, we have a new uh, president and a new Congress, and uh, they are diligently seeking ways to uh, raise revenue given uh, all of the COVID funding. What kind of changes have you seen or do you anticipate might be forthcoming in this new and different environment? Sure. As taping of this is right before the Labor Day holiday, Scott, and, and you know we believe that this discussion, debate, if you will, between the infrastructure bill, the reconciliation bill is really going to heat up in September and October. Uh, it is our view that you will see in some shape or form both capital gain taxes and income taxes increase at those higher levels, which typically are hit when one goes through an event. So we do think you're going to see the ordinary income rate go from 37 to likely 39.6. Capital gains, it's more of a, it's grayer at this point, but let's just use the example. If it goes up 10% and it goes from 20 to 22%, the point we're making to a founder or an executive is, Think about what you need to do to drive your EBITDA, increase your EBITDA by 10%. What are the catalysts you need to put in place, the effort you need to put, the money you need to spend? So we're seeing a lot of founders, executives, owners who were considering selling in 22 and 23, selling in 21, recognizing what do they need to do to their EBITDA? What do they need to grow their bottom line to just to make up for the tax increase versus doing it today? So, yeah. so that's understanding number one is, if the capital gain rates go up, so does your net takeaway. Uh, your what you're building has to go up as well. What's your uh, feeling as to the probability of any change to the estate tax threshold? Is That's that likely right. to be changed? Yeah, I was going there next, Scott. You're you're right ahead of me. Okay. So it's it's interesting because most of what I'm reading is it's possible the estate tax thresholds go up in 22 with this with this change, with these potential changes. But remember, the estate tax threshold is set to change anyway. The tax cuts of 2017 expire at the end of 25. So the thresholds, which are now the $11.7 million, are set to go back down to around five or six million each at the end of 25 anyway. So a lot of what I'm reading is, if it's too big of a political battle to move income capital gain and the estate tax thresholds, uh, it's likely they're going to be left alone because they're going to drop, creating more exposure to tax anyway in, in just a few years. So we still think that gives founders, entrepreneurs, owners of private companies the ability to use these, these different trust strategies and gifting techniques 
now while there's still time before those changes occur? Yes, more. I would say uh, more, more important than ever, really. Yeah. Well, Scott, we really appreciate your time and, and thank all of you uh, for carving some time out of your day to listen to us. And we also, I want to put a plug in for your firm, Biz Equity. Scott, we've been using this tool now. Uh, our firm has entered into arrangement with Biz Equity where we can now provide this analysis and this tool at no cost for founders, entrepreneurs, executives who really want to get a clean sense of what their company's worth. We've done several of them now and results have been fantastic. We've got great reviews from our clients who said, you know what, my, the number's higher than I thought, or this is more detailed than I thought. So if you're looking, if you've been wondering, what's my company really worth? And you know, is it what I think it is? This tool with an hour of your time and some data can give you a very clear picture of what the company's worth. So congratulations on what you've done, Scott. I think you're helping a lot of people. Yeah, well, well thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, 15 years of... Uh, you know, hard work, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, proud of uh, what we put together, and uh, it you know it essentially mimics what I'm doing offline. It uh, quite uh, quite credible, I would say. Great, thank you, Scott. Thank you all for your time, and we'll look forward to our next podcast coming up soon. Seren Strategic Partners is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member of Finra and SIPC and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Sarian Strategic Partners and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Sarian Strategic Partners and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.